When he says that we are the light of the world, what he's saying is we're reflecting his light. Very much like Moses reflected the glory of God after he had seen him. That's what we're like. We're reflecting the light of Christ. We are the light of the world. This is season 10 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I want to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. And God's Word is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. And now I would invite you to take out your Bibles, either the ones that you brought with you or the ones in the pews, and turn them with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be on page 4 of the New Testament, if you're following along in the pew Bible. We've been looking at what it means to be made new in Christ. We've looked at the new birth and the new identity we receive in Christ. We've seen how, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are blessed by God. He gives us a new heart with new desires, and he fulfills every desire of our new heart of flesh. This week, uh, we are continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount as we see the new purpose Christ gives us in our new lives. Let's hear the word of the Lord for us today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Let us hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. What is your purpose in life? For some, their purpose is to accumulate wealth and possessions in order to live a life of comfort. It's not sinful in and of itself to have possessions, as long as your possessions do not possess you. Those who live for their possessions lose everything on the day they die. I think about the pharaohs in Egypt, how they would be buried with their riches so that they could uh, live a life of comfort in the afterlife. But today, those riches they were buried with 
are sitting in a museum somewhere for public display. You can't take it with you. Now, some live to work and earn a living for their family, and that is good. But as we learned in Ecclesiastes, we work and toil all day, and at the end of our lives, we have nothing to show for it. So if that is our purpose, we'll die in obscurity. Perhaps we'll leave a legacy to our children and instill, instill in them an ethic of hard work. And then they likewise will work and toil and at the end of their lives have nothing to show for it. As Christians, our purpose is to point others to Christ. Now, as a non-believer, I used to watch athletes on TV, and when they did something spectacular, like hit a home run or score a touchdown, shoot a goal, sometimes they would point to the sky, and I would think to myself, yeah, like God has nothing better to do than to help athletes win games. If both teams are doing the pointing, and God really was in it, then wouldn't every game end in a tie? But that's not it. I didn't get it as a child of the world, as one who was not yet reborn in the kingdom of God. By pointing others to Christ, we are giving God the glory. We are telling the world that we live for Christ and not for ourselves. And ultimately, that is the purpose of all Christians. A new purpose that we are given when we are saved. And as a Christian today, I want to make sure that any accolades I receive go to God so that others may come to know the God who saves. Now, last week, we read the opening blessings of the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the uh, Beatitudes. Keeping in mind that the entirety of this sermon is a concentrated teaching on kingdom life for the believer, for the disciples of Christ, helps us to understand whom those Beatitudes were for and to whom they apply. In the same way, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's referring to his disciples and not just the people in general. He's referring to people who follow him. Now, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, some modern commentators like to remark that salt has two purposes, to enhance flavor and to preserve food. I've been guilty of that myself because I read those modern commentators, but in the time of Jesus, the primary purpose of salt in a time without the modern convenience of refrigeration was to preserve food. It's a preservative. Our purpose as Christians is no longer to live as the world lives, but to preserve the world by increasingly living as Christ lived. The preserving action of the Holy Spirit, just like salt, gets into every aspect of the meat of our lives to the point that it changes the very character of it. If you've ever had salt pork or cured meat, you know there's very distinct difference between that and something that is fresh, something that has been refrigerated. Now, salt that has lost its taste is not salt at all. 
This used to confuse me. Uh, but the Reformation Study Bible raises an interesting point. Around the Dead Sea, there are salt deposits that push up due to the heaviness of the air at that subsea level altitude. So the salt is mixed with other minerals, and then when the rains come, it washes the salt away, leaving just the mineral deposits. There's really no salt in them at all. So what Jesus is referring to here is a believer whose preserving action, whose holiness and separation from society has been washed away by the constant rains of living as the rest of the world lives. So that's what it means to be salt. You are the salt of the earth. You are a preservative. You preserve life. And we seek not to let that salt be washed away. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city, on a, a city built on a hill cannot be hid. Now all throughout the Bible, light is used as a metaphor for righteousness. And darkness is used as a metaphor for sin. From the opening stanzas of Genesis, when God declared, let there be light and separated light from darkness, we come to understand that light is from God and chases away the darkness. In Isaiah chapter 60, we read this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of of your rising. And so we are light. And he says a city on a hill cannot be hid. Cities have always, even in Jesus' time, been a sort of source of light pollution. Sitting in the shadow of Philadelphia, the number of stars we see in the sky is significantly less than we see in unpopulated areas of, say, Wyoming. One of my favorite memories of our cross-country trip Aaron and I took in 2007 was camping out at the base of Devil's Tower in Wyoming. And there is no light. In fact, it's so dark you could see, what it just seems like a million stars. You can see the traces of the Milky Way, the very galaxy that we live in. And what was really interesting was you could see the shadow of the Devil's Tower monument against the backdrop of a black sky full of stars. The light of a city cannot be masked. A city on a hill such as Jerusalem is cannot be hidden by darkness. Jesus himself is often described as the light of the world. He called himself the light of the world. In John 8 and verse 12, Jesus said to the people there in the temple, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. Not just be in the light of life, but have the light of life. 
John chapter 1 and verse 9, John writes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Jesus. So when he says that we are the light of the world, what he's saying is we're reflecting his light. Very much like Moses reflected the glory of God after he had seen him. We read in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will pass by you. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock and put my hand over it as I pass by you and proclaim my name. And then when I go by, I'll take my hand away. You'll see the back of me, but you can't see my face because no man can see me and live. That's what the glory of God is like. It's, it's intensely powerful that we can't stand in it. But when Moses went down from the hill after being exposed to the glory of God's back, his face shone and it freaked people out because they, they'd never seen anything like it. So in order to keep from terrifying the people, he would put a veil over his face whenever he wasn't speaking. That's what we're like. We're reflecting the light of Christ. We are the light of the world. Verse 15, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. It's kind of comical to think that someone in a dark house would hide a light under a basket. We want that light to be available to all, and so we put it on a stand so that it's available to everyone to enjoy that light. In the same way, we as Christians, we don't want to hide our light. We want, to, we want our light to shine, and that's what he says in verse uh, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. In the same way, he says, in the same way that someone would put the light on a stand so that everyone can enjoy it, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, not to you, but to your Father in heaven. And that's what it all comes down to. Our purpose in Christians, as Christians, is to be light and not to try to hide the light of Christ, but to take it out into the world. That's why at the end of the service, the acolyte carries the light of Christ uh, out of the sanctuary. We are sent forth to take the light of Christ into our homes, into our communities, to be light in darkness. In uh, his letter to Philemon, Paul wrote, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. The sharing of your faith is for the sake of Christ so that everybody can know what God has done for us in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Peter writes, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So ultimately, we are salt and light to bring the presence of the Holy Spirit into the world to preserve holiness and to chase away the darkness of sin, not in a confrontational or unpleasant way, but in such a way that God is glorified in our good works. That's biblical. 
Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember uh, that the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I feel like I always uh, go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism whenever Ken is here, by the way. <laughs> Remember that the Westminster, I didn't know he was coming. It's just the way things happen. Uh, tells us that the chief end of man or the purpose of our lives as Christians is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I like that. We are his workmanship. So, verse 17. Now, we're coming into another section here, but it's reinforcing what we just read. All of this sermon on the Mount builds on previous statements. It's really masterfully uh, uh, assembled. You know, I'm, uh, I'm sure Jesus feels really good about me calling his sermon great. But, you know, it's just um, we can learn a lot about how it, each part of it develops from the last. Okay, so verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Let's stop there. So I want you to keep this verse in mind next week. You'll be reading through some of Jesus' teaching. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And it sounds like he's contradicting the word of God. But in fact, he's telling us up front that his words are in no way nullifying the law. In fact, what we are seeing is that he's calling his followers to a deeper conviction of the spirit to live lives of salt and light, to be holy as our father in heaven is holy. And so he goes on in verse 19, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The law of God, like God himself, is immutable. It applies to all people at all times, not just to the Jews and not just in the Old Testament. We can no more change God's law than we can change God. That's why James says that not many ought to be teachers. Now, I take my charge seriously as a teacher of God's word. I do a lot of research ahead of time so I don't mislead you. And sometimes the proclamation of the law stings, and that's okay. That pricking of the heart is the conviction of the Holy Spirit calling us to listen to Jesus' words, to obey God in all things. Now, I'm not talking about obeying the law for the sake of the law, but because we desire more and more of God. And that means to live a life that God calls us to, to be like Christ, to be salt and light. Finally, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How can our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, they know the law and they preach it, but they don't practice it. Jesus calls them hypocrites, which the Greek word means an actor. They act one way in public for show, but behind closed doors, they live completely differently from their public persona. 
Jesus calls us to live lives publicly and privately the same. We live as citizens of the kingdom in our private lives as well as in public. We, uh, in this way, we bring the preserving power of the Holy Spirit to the world. We bring the light of Christ into darkness. And through it all, God is glorified and his purpose of saving lost sinners is accomplished. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's talking to each one of us here. He's talking to all who are his disciples, who have experienced the spiritual rebirth and who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This purpose that Christ has given us to be salt and light is a new purpose for many. To be a follower of Christ is to take Christ into the world. We live differently from the world. And in our lives as Christ's representatives, we give glory to God when we live as Christ lived. Now, do we do it perfectly? No, we don't. But increasingly, our lives resemble more of Christ and less of the world when we submit ourselves to him. And in all of this, God is glorified because it is he who gave us life, who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners, who calls us out of darkness and into the light of Christ. So our new purpose as those who are saved is to be salt and light in the world, to carry Christ to the world in everything we do, all for the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we call upon your Holy Spirit to dwell within us and convict us of sin so that we may be truly salt and light in the world. Your Son has given us a new purpose in our lives. May the lives we live as Christ followers be seen outside of this place. May we carry the light of Christ into our homes, into our communities, into the world. And may that light draw others to you. May we be seen as examples of kingdom life to the world, not as judges, but as citizens. And may our lives be filled with the joy of knowing you and loving you more and more each day. You have blessed us to be a blessing, and may we live out this purpose you have given us every day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. My hope and prayer for you is that today's teaching has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. God has also blessed me by calling me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you live in the area and don't have a faith community of your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring congregations in the heart of New Jersey's farmland, and we also have Bible study during the week. Of course, if you don't live in the area, get involved with the church where you are. We are not called to be Christians in isolation, but in community. So I would encourage you to live out your faith with a group of like-minded believers where you are. Now, if our message today has touched you in some way, won't you please let us know? Send us an email, drop us a comment, subscribe, and share this message with someone who needs to hear it. Keep learning, keep growing, 
And I pray you would join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until then, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.